What's on the table today, Dr. Henry? Ooh, we got a big show today. Today we are engaging the builder generation, the builder generation. All right, we skipped over. So we were doing this generation series. We, we kind of had a little interlude in the middle when we hit the health series, but now we're back to the generation series. Part number five, the builder's generation. Now I saw already in the text, uh, we're, well, we're going to we're going to answer that question. So I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Somebody wanted to know what's the age group that that's dealing with. We're, we'll, we'll answer <laughs> yeah, that gonna, shortly. It's going to come coming. to the show. It's going <laughs> to. All right. All right. So who's at the table, uh, uh, Elder Wade? Well, man, I am just so excited to have um, these two guests. One of them. Oh, my is uh, is truly a, ben, uh, a a great friend, a mentor. Uh, not only to me, but to my family, to my wife in particular. She was very instrumental in putting my wife and I together and what? bringing us together. But she was very matchmaker. <laughs> matchmaker. She was very instrumental in in shaping my wife uh, for ministry and for life. And uh, to this day, they have one of the most closest relationships. I mean, I don't want to say too much. I might give away too much. But we have here with us... Um, uh, sister, whoo, Lord, I almost called her by uh, first name, Phyllis Edmonds. Uh, she's here with us. Um, uh, she's, she's such a close friend to us. We're glad that she can join us and be a part. Y'all can You'll hear, hear her in the background. Her. You may know who she She has a very famous um, um, uh, uh, son who is, uh, who is very well known in the world. She is famous life. all by herself. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, she doesn't need her son to. <laughs> Bring him on. Come on, <laughs> Dr. Henry, tell us who's also at the table. You, you, well, I listen, want you to have we, this honor. Well, listen, I have the honor of introducing a heavyweight in the Adventist church. Um, right. He has made so many um, strides within our church. Um, none other than Herb Doggett. He started, you should hear his story. We did his story for Black History one time. He started in the mailroom and ended up being the supervisor, regional representative, assistant director. He worked his way. He was in Washington, D.C., worked under several presidents as the, and I know he's going to correct me if I get it wrong, but the Social Security Commissioner under Reagan, under Bush, under, I think even under Clinton, and he may correct me if I'm wrong, and that's none other than Herb Doggett. Now, uh, he has a wonderful wife. I pastored in the uh, Avon Park area where him and his wife served faithfully. And I tell you, his wife will make sure you're in the choir. Now, she didn't choose me for some reason. I don't mercy. know why. Mercy, <laughs> mercy, mercy. So my wife is in the choir. And you may know, you may know his nephew, James Doggett. He has another nephew, uh, Jack Doggett. His brother was the president of the Southeastern Conference some time ago. And so I know that we are just privileged to have him on the show uh, to represent the Builder Generation. Amen, amen, amen. So right after our opening prayer, we're going to have an opening prayer. And right after that, um, um, Sister Edmonds and, and Elder Doggett, we're going to give you a few seconds just to give us a little bit more. But we want to invite the presence of the Lord to be with us in this discussion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We ask that you be with us now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So, Sister Edmonds, um, Roger probably left some stuff out um, (laughs) because we did this really quick. So we're going to give you 40.9 seconds, 40.9 seconds to just come behind him and just say to whoever, whatever you want to say. And those 40.9 seconds begin right now. Um. Uh, again, I'm Phyllis Edmonds. I recently retired um, from being an assistant solicitor for the city of Baltimore, where I represented the mayor and city council in uh, legal actions that were filed against them. I've also been um, director of claims and legal services for the for risk management for the general conference. Um, I've served on um, probably I've served on probably every level of committee, conference committee, union committee, North American division committee, um, grew up in the church, was born into, um, Adventist, uh, into an Adventist home, um, was baptized at the age of six, but became a Christian um, my freshman year of college in a life and teachings of Jesus class. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good stuff. Elder Doggett, what Dr. Henry should have told us. Let, let, let's, what, what, what did he leave out? What else do we need to know? What else do you want to say? You've got, I, I, I'm thinking you come from a, a, a family of preachers, so I'm going to give you 20.5 seconds because you're going to take uh, preacher time. Now, I actually know you better than that. So <laughs> go ahead. What, what, what else do we want to know, Elder? Well, I'm happy to share this program with uh, Phyllis Edmonds. Thank you. Uh, okay, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 75 years. Wow. I've been married for 61 years, and I'm 86 years old. The Lord has allowed me to serve this church at every level, from the local church to the general conference. He has also allowed me to have a very successful career. I've worked in the highest levels of the U.S. government. I have a wonderful family and many church friends and family and I am exceptionally blessed. Yes. Now, praise Amen. the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump on in to get our first questions going. I'm trying to find my guide here to see who's got that first question. You. Is that me? Yes. All right. So let's go. Okay. Let's jump in. All right. So, so someone already asked in the, in the questions, when we talk about the builder generation, what is the age group or how do we define what's the characteristics and age range of this builder generation? Anyone could answer that. I know it's a broad question as far as the characteristics of them, but but just from your vantage point, and we always have to say this, we know that in this generational series, when we bring people on who are a part of the generation, we know that they don't speak for the entire generation. Um, So we want to make sure that you guys don't expect that everything that they say is what every builder thinks or what every builder feels, but, but we just appreciate your perspective. So from your perspective, um, what seem to be some of the characteristics that may separate you or distinguish you from some of the other generations? I would think um, because of the span of years, um, hardship, being able to endure hardship, hmm. um, because that those years 
um, were close to the time of the of the depression, um, world wars, um, folk coming and going off to war, um, and so and, and and transition because the people people from that generation had to learn how to be transient and learn how to deal with different aspects of life. So from from the depression and, and um, privation to um, succeeding against the odds, because many mm. of those people came out of that, came home from war and um, went to college under the GI Bill and and all of that. So they they came from lack and they they were earnest about overcoming um, overcoming the uh, vicissitudes of life, the difficulties of life, and hard workers, strivers is is how I would describe them. All right, I would certainly add to that that uh, well, we're considered to be the generation that was born between 1925 and 1945. So that means today we're in the 75 to 95 year old age bracket. And there are a bunch of us. We're about 14, 15% of the population of the country. Uh, now, what did we go through? We lived through, we started out our lives with parents who had just survived the depression. Mm-hmm. We were mostly poor, uh, but we had certain characteristics that were very strong. Uh, we had a strong work ethic. We accepted what was and did the best that we could with it. We obeyed the rules. We respected authority. We were savers. And another important thing is we trusted government. And we didn't try to make a lot of changes. In fact, we don't like to have a lot of changes. But we lived through a period from the time we were born up until now that has seen more just ever in the history of this world. We have gone from poor families, uh, poverty-stricken in some cases, and many of us have elevated in our generation to a higher level economically, educationally, uh, in so many ways. We're very stable, we're responsible, and we kind of still respect authority. (laughs) We like to say we're not, we're not, uh, we're frugal still. Wow, wow. You, um, I'm, I'm seeing in the chat, somebody said, I think it was Eric Jean Baptiste, how does it feel to have an elected president that is a part of your generation? <laughs> so. is, is he in that generation? Is he? No. No one from our generation has ever become president. If you go check that out, none of them ever became president. He is not from our generation. Oh, he's not. Yeah, Biden is not going between 1925 and 1945. Yeah, he's not not the member of the silent generation. Oh, that's right. I don't claim him. (laughs) Well, I think they're talking about. I I think Eric may have been talking about Biden, but but neither of them are from that. President, neither of them. them. Okay, anyone be the president who was born in our generation? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know. Well, you know, there is the, uh, the science, the sociologists are still kind of questioning because when I did some research, someone even had the builders being from 1901 to 1925 
and yeah. then there was another break. So there, there are still some science out there that are, haven't yeah. been really able to land where the builders mm-hmm. are supposed to be. But most of us know that it's between 1924 and 1945. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, on, and on that note, um, even talking about the greatest generation, you know, the greatest generation. And so there's this pull was well, the greatest generation. Is that the generation uh, before the the builder generation or is the greatest generation a part of the uh, the builders? And they call it, I guess, the GI generation. But let's 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 say the builders generation is the greatest generation. I know it's a term from <laughs> Tom Brokaw. <laughs> why, why would you, how would you describe that? What, what would be your take on that? The builder's generation, the greatest generation? Because you've been through a lot. I mean, your generation been through the civil rights movement. I mean, we go on and on. So what, what would be your take on that, calling your generation the greatest generation? <laughs> well, well, I guess it depends on whose eyes you're looking through, because um, uh, there's some... Uh, successive generations who would probably dispute that. But um, foundational, you know, um, that generation were the ones to lay the foundation and and hence the term builders. Um, It's what the church, it's, it's what our church and what the organizations that we pretty much deal with, what what was built upon. Um, even this country was just really coming out of dealing with um, all these different wars and, and, and the establishment of businesses and corporations and, and, and the church was just getting really on its feet organizationally and becoming known um, to the world. So I guess we would be foundational. Mm. I would agree with that totally. Uh, we came along and as far as the greatest generation, uh, some say it goes from 1945 back to the earliest to 1900, which would include us in it. And I think we, uh, have a little bit of a right to be in with that greatest generation, uh, designation because we built the foundation for this country. After the First World War, which ended, as you know, in uh, 1945 or so, uh, we were born and we came on the scene and we helped build this country. We think back of the presidency of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the alphabet programs that he developed, the Workmen's Progress Organization. We worked through those organizations we, we cooperated and we did a lot to build the structure of the foundation. Uh, industries were developed. Uh, people were de- uh, developed into people of great wealth, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, uh, the Firestones. Lots of things happened. Innovations came. We started out, we had, didn't have a telephone in our house. Before it was all over, we had computers in our homes. We went yeah. from such a, a low position to such a high position in terms of what happened around us that it's amazing that we've been able to to, uh, deal with it. And even today, we in this generation are dealing with and remembering where we came from and what happened. 
And I have to say this, that even though we did a lot of good in helping to build the foundation for this country, a lot of things happened during our time that we're not proud of. Uh, we watched the institutionalization of racism in our society, for mm -hmm. example. Wow. We still suffered from the results of the after results of slavery. We watched as our country dehumanized uh, certain classes of Indians. They made them out to be savages. They destroyed black history. A lot of things happened that were not good. But at the same time, a lot of things happened that were good. And we had to learn how to deal with both of them. Mm. That's wow. interesting. I, there's a question I have here. You know, we talked about the impact of your generation in society. But how about in the church? Uh, what was the impact of the builder generation in the church? Um, yeah, the same, the same, we can, we can correlate the same thing. I mean, it was, I know during my lifetime, I lived to see the church grow, um, grow to becoming world renowned instead of, I know, cause mm -hmm. I in growing up as a child, um, Seventh-day Advent, seven, seven Adventurers, who, who are they? Um, seven, the, the folk on my block call them seven days and we, we must have grew up on the same block <laughs> I grew up in the south in Savannah, Georgia and so and I grew up um, from you know the beginning of all of that through I mean went through the the, 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 the demonstrations and how the church responded to the civil rights movement. Um, churches in the South responded differently than churches in the North. Um, mm. a, a lot of people don't realize, but um, in Savannah, Georgia, where I grew up, West Broad Street, Seventh-day Adventist Church, our church was the site for mass civil rights meetings and things like that. So we went through all of the civil rights um, um, legislation, all, all of that. So building, is, and, and that's the message I really would like to see the younger subsequent generations understand about us is that we're, we're builders, that we're, even though you may question the way we do things, how we think, um, that's the era that we came out of. Mm, wow. Agreed. When we were young, actually our life revolved around three things, our neighborhood, our church, and our school. We went mm. to school, we went to church, and we lived in the neighborhood. We didn't know a lot about the rest of the world. We did not have access to the internet or to uh, a lot of news. We didn't come home every night and listen to the news at six o'clock. We stayed out and played in the street. We didn't care about a lot of that stuff. We did care about the things that involved our life, our school, our neighborhood, and our church. We went into the church in a big way. We looked to the church for our spiritual guidance. We looked mm -hmm. to the church for socialization. We had mm -hmm. a social, we didn't have cars. We didn't have television. We didn't have a lot to do. So when Sabbath came, we, took advantage of it. Sabbath afternoon, AY, we studied the Bible, we did our morning watch, we did our memory verses. We used to recite the memory verses every 13 Sabbath. 
all of all of them with text for where they were found. We memorized a lot of stuff, and Saturday night we had fun. The church provided a social for us or some social activity every Saturday night. So that was basically our life. We had a tremendous impact on the church because they encouraged us to do things in the church. They put us up front. They taught us how to give a mission story, how to break it down and make it interesting. They taught us a lot of skills that we had to use in order to survive in that environment. And we accepted that. We loved it. We enjoyed it. Uh, and we got a lot out of it. We benefited from it. And many of us have stayed with the church ere these 75 years because of that foundation that we got in the church as we were growing up in this generation. I talk a lot, so when I go along, just tell me to stop. (laughs) I just want to add, too, that um, church leadership and pastors were revered. Hmm. Yes. Um, If the pastor or church leadership said it, um, we were encouraged to study mm-hmm. and, 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 and make sure that what we were being taught was, was right and correct, but um, there was a good, excellent relationship between pastors and members. Does it, does it feel like that's different now? Is, is, that, yes. is that why it's being brought up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, one of our watchers, uh, viewers, uh, Cindy, she asked a very uh, poignant question in terms of the things that you've shared. Um, do, we, do you still feel that, uh, how is it different today in terms, of, in terms of the interaction of seniors? Seniors are considered, uh, some seniors are marginalized in many of our churches. Um, you know, they have changed the way we worship, the, the types of music we sing. The, um, the the order of service, things like that. How do you interpret that in terms of as a one of our builders in our builder generation in our church today? Um, you want to you want to you want to start? Just be real. Be real. Just be real. <laughs> you know. I mean, um, it's. I mean. The church is much more, um, the, the, the membership, well, and, and I, I don't really like the use of the term membership, but, but, but the con- our church membership is much more educated than, than, than it was when I was growing up. Um, and so it seems as if the, 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 the membership respected pastors because pastors in the Adventist church and, and, and I can remember my parents bragging about the fact that in comparisons to the first day churches, the Adventist church pastor was educated. Hmm. Hmm. In the first day church, you could just go start a church and you didn't have to be educated. So they so our we would brag about the fact that our pastors were educated and and our churches in our church uh, our pastor didn't have to depend on the membership um for for their salaries they got it every every uh month no matter whether the members paid or not we we thought we were much better than those first day churches the pentecostal church 
next door or the one down the street because the Adventist church was perceived, was perceived to be um, elite and, and the folk more educated than, say, typical churches. But it's different now. Um, most of our members, members are educated. Um, Adventism um, edu changes people from the, I mean, it's the standard within our church. And I think that changed the way we perceived leadership and pastors. Mm, wow. As we were coming up, the Adventist church was small. We knew everybody. When I first went to Oakwood, they had 300 students. We knew everyone on campus. Uh, we knew everyone who was anyone in Adventism across the country in the early days because there weren't that many. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and in New York, there were three major black churches, Ephesus, uh, City Tabernacle, and Bethel. Basically, Hanson Place had not come along yet. So we had limited ability to spread out and socialize, but we took full advantage of that. Pastors, we used to have parsonages. Mm -hmm. The pastor's house was built onto the church. So the pastor mm -hmm. was always there. They couldn't escape us. But they, they took us into their home. We spent yeah. as much time in the pastor's home as we spent in our own homes in many cases, wow. particularly on the weekends. So it was a more family uh, orientation. The pastor was more involved. We had social activities on Sundays. The pastor was there with his whole family. We do that now, I know, but it was so much more intimate then. Hmm. Today, it has become different. We have a larger footprint in society as a church. We now have 20 million people. We now have huge organizations, hundreds of hospitals, colleges, et cetera, so that the church and the pastor have a wider arena to divert their attention. And I don't say that negatively, but in order to apply their attention to a much wider community. And we see less of our pastors today. The pastors don't have the, the privilege or the opportunity to have the sort of relationship we used to have so to, and today there are so many other things for us to do that take up our lives that the church is no longer the center of our life for socialization. It is for spiritual activity, but for socialization, we wow. now look to many other areas. And part of our problem, part of the reason of the reason I think we're losing so many of our young people is because of that. They have so many other areas that they can look to for socialization other than the church, uh, and they go that direction. Wow, that's huge. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, when I think about that, I think about the Acts 2 church, um, and, and they mm -hmm. continued daily, you know, mm -hmm. eating essentially from mm -hmm. house to house, not on the weekend, but during the week, and daily such were, and such were added to the church, daily such as should be saved. It says that that socialization in, in, in the early church and, and, and in the era when you guys are referencing that that was, that was huge. I mean, that was just part of the dynamics of the church life. Um, I see a question here I'd like to, I'd like to, to get to. Um, comes from Natalie Barkley. Natalie says, your generation saw the implementation of the regional conferences. And how did that affect the church during that time? That's a very interesting question. Anybody want to want to how, how did that feel? What was that like? Were you aware of it when that when that was happening? Um, what can you tell us about that? 
My memory is just of regional conferences. I don't remember the church prior to that. Um, and no, I, 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 yeah, that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, I was just kind of coming of age in Adventism when this, these activities happened. Now, my generation was not a moving, shaking generation. We did not foster a lot of change. We were not at the forefront of change. In fact, we kind of resisted too much change. But I was aware of what was going on. I read up a lot about it. And I was very concerned that the problem required that sort of a solution. Hmm. And I have to say that even today, I am troubled by... Uh, having to explain to my friends why we have a white organization and a black organization. Oh, wow. I have difficulty explaining that. I live in a gated uh, retirement community with uh, 1,100 homes. There are about five people in this community who look like me. I have a lot of friends who don't look like me. And when I invite them to church, and we take a lot of them to our church for different programs and whatnot, and I have to explain to them the structure of our church, I'm embarrassed. Wow. We need to some way address this issue. Unfortunately, the reason for black conferences is still there. Hmm. We never solved the problem that made us go to black conferences. But uh, basically, my generation embraced them because it gave our black pastors and our black church leaders, women and others, an opportunity that they did not have. And I still feel that we need to retain them today because if we lost them, we would take a step backwards. Mm. Wow. Wow. All right. Um, so I, I got one more one more question. I'm like, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. So, so we're talking about the church stuff here. And, and Can I back up just a second and add yeah. something? Okay. Uh, in terms of how we're impacting the age of our group is impacting the church today. The age level of the church is going up. We're getting older. Yeah. And in many cases, in some of our churches, the bulk of the population is in the retirement age category. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the bulk of the congregation in the retirement age category supply the major support and financial and leadership support for the church, which means they have a greater say in what happens in the church because they carry the most weight. Uh, mm -hmm. They get a lot of attention. Our young people don't get the attention that we used to get because they don't carry that same kind of weight. And we don't like a lot of change. We will tolerate some change, but there are other changes that we kind of struggle against. We're not happy with. Uh, and we compromise a little bit and say, okay, they can have the drums, but don't beat them too loud. Uh, you know, so this, this, this dynamic tension that's going on right now, and I think it's having an effect on our young people who rather than staying and fighting are just walking away. Wow. Mm. Wow. So, so that brings up a, a, another great question um, in, in regard to the relevance of the church today to not just our own young people, but to our communities. So th the relevance of the church today, did it seem like the church was more relevant, not just to its own members, but to the community more back then when you guys were growing up or does it seem or, or, or compared to today, how, how does that find or where, where does that rate on that scale? I, I think it was relevant 
for that time. And I think one of the big problems with our church is that we find if we get one thing that works, we want to hold on to it forever. <laughs> and, and we don't we don't pay attention to what's happening around us and times changing around us. My experience in my concept, I, the people who trained me and who helped to develop me spent more time with me as a young person than we have for the subsequent generation. Hmm. And, and I'm not just, and, and, and you know, um, an example, um, grew up with, in a, in a family with eight children, father was alcoholic, but, you know, decided I wanted to go to Pine Forge. My mother was good Adventist. I went to Pine Forge. The, the reason I was able to get through Pine Forge, I was encouraged to go. They, the church made, um, um, celebrated my going. When I came home, they celebrated me. The Pine Forge developed me. My home church, I'll never forget, I took piano lessons. And um, at AY, after I'd learn a piece, I would go to AY, I would play it. There would be more bad notes than there were good notes. But the, <laughs> uh, the members would encourage me. Wow. It didn't yeah. have to be a killed pianist playing. Yeah. I can remember playing the Captain Calls for You. And, and and he wasn't calling that day. It was, it was pathetic. But the mem after I was done, the membership. I mean, the the the, the people and, and the older generation. They came back to AY. They came, and and the kids were there, and the Amen was so loud. I thought I had just completed a piece. At Carnegie Hall, I wow. don't see providing that same encouragement, that same um, support to our young people that were given to us. And 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 I'm a firm believer that in order to develop subsequent generations, that the older generations have to learn how to make friends with them. Like I'd make friends with somebody on my age group. They must make friends with them. They must teach them life as we were taught. And I don't, I think we have failed to do that more so than the generation before us. Mm. Wow. Wow. And in, in terms of the impact on the community, when we were smaller in the earlier days, we did not have as big a footprint in the community. We did not have a lot of the social services, the community services. We had tent meetings, which were great and were a great mm -hmm. impact on the community. Today, our, as I said, our footprint has enlarged, and now we do a we have a tremendous impact on the community worldwide and locally. My local church feeds over 600 families every week mm -hmm. through the community services center. Address all around the world the social media has allowed us to reach more people mm -hmm. and to impact more people 
including our own people here in this country, uh, at the publishing business, publishing work. So many things have occurred that have made us as a church, locally and internationally, have a greater impact on society than we had. That doesn't mean we didn't do the best that we could at the time, because we did, but we didn't have as great an impact then as that church has today. Mm. But I think even though the organization has stepped up its its um, activity in the community, we as individuals have become more distant. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, don't re- we don't have the relationships anymore as we did where I grew up. Okay. Now, I would agree with that because we have many more things that call our attention away from that uh, kind of intimate relationship with each other. And as someone said, AY is what kept many of us in the church, being able to come back. And you mentioned the captain call. I know all the words to the song and all the rest of the songs. I still remember them. Those were galvanizing activities for us as young people, and they galvanized us in the church. And lo and behold, some of us are still there, still galvanized to the church. Some have gone astray, but basically the church did a tremendous service to itself, to the youth, and to its members by some of those activities. Wow. But do you that see is, that, that today, that though? But like, uh, before you go with that question, uh, Pastor Wade, just want to jump on this a little bit. So we talked about back then, but today... So how do you feel about the church today as far as galvanizing the troops together? Or do you feel like people are just not supportive? Do you feel like people are trying, but the interest is not there? Tell me about the church of today. If you, um, from my perspective, um, we're stuck I mean, it, because we believe the Bible and the, the Bible is our rule of faith, I think as a church, we've confused those beliefs and those foundational truths. We've confused those with methodology. Hmm. Mm. Um, yes, some things remain the same. Those truths remain the same, but we're stuck on methods remaining the same. And I think that is a problem. I think, I believe that's a problem for our church. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I think as Christians, we've got to constantly ask ourselves, why am I doing it this way? How effective is it? And um, is there another way of doing, of carrying forth the mission, the reason we exist? I think we're stuck in a time zone with methodology. I think it's, we we don't, as a, and I'm talking about church organization, the way the organization, the way the structure is, um, the way we do church. And I really believe that COVID, the Lord allowed COVID to give us another perspective on 
worship and how to worship. Um, mm. I don't think it's the only way, and I do miss fellowship part of worship because there's a there's a good reason for that. We need that fellowship, but I think God was preparing us to be able to to accept different perspectives. Uh, or different methodologies for worship. And I think we get stuck in methods. Hmm. Well, you know, you, you, you're so right. You've hit, you hit on a number of things, even as a, as a Generation Xer, um, very conservative Generation Xer, um, you know, coming up in the church, the, the very things you are talking about that, that held you out, some of the very same things that have held me personally. Um, you know, AY, and, and even being a leader in the church now, to see some of those things eroded. Um, as I talk to leaders and try to um, share with leaders how they can make church more um, relevant and interactive today, they're, they're, they're utilizing the very same things you're talking about, the family feel, the connectivity that we've had. Um, but I've also seen where churches have been very negative to seniors um, um relegated them to uh maybe you know the, the the noon hour prayer service and you know there is no there's no energy put into it it's it's just basically gathering the folks and and it's because of your love and your loyalty that you still come and do that because you enjoy that socialization but we have seen the church kind of kind of push the seniors to the side and want to do the more relevant thing. Do you find that um, with COVID now, I mean, you're not getting into the buildings. Um, have, has, the, has, the, has the church been, um, um, what's deliberate, not deliberate, but has the church been um, able to reach out to seniors or to your, your generation to, to make sure that you are still, to know that you're still relevant to the church today? You could say that you could say the answer that I know you're going to say. Don't be afraid. <laughs> you know, I think the church has done a good job of reaching out to us during COVID. But I want to talk about the, uh, you know, the how the church is relating to us as seniors today, how we relate to the church. Uh, we have, as I said earlier, the church was an integral part of our life during the week and on the, during the weekends. The church was there. Today, the church is an integral part of our life on Sabbath. During the rest of the week, we live in a different world. And in many cases, the church has not been able to form the link between the world that we live in six days a week and the church. So as a result, the church has become a little bit less relevant, uh, relevant to us because it has not convinced us that they ought to be a part of that. that we certainly have not found this link with our young people. They don't buy into the stuff that we bought into, and we have not found a way to communicate to them that the church ought to be a part of the link. What I'm getting to is, is that I think our church seems to go into a bubble, a spiritual Seventh-day Adventist bubble, and we walk out of the real world into this bubble on Sabbath. Hmm, and when wow. we walk out of that bubble, we go back into the real world. Wow. And so the yeah. church has become a part of our life but not the central part of our life. Mm. We have not made the connections that have made me believe that the church should be with me every single day of the week or that it is with me every single day of the week. Now, as far as pushing us aside, as I said, the aged group in the church, 
We're the ones who spend the money, who put the money in. We're the ones who hold the leadership positions. The young people will not take a leadership position. You want to be a no, I won't be leader, but I'll be an assistant. So what happens is the older folk take these positions. We run the finance committee. We run the board. We run the the, the mechanisms of the church. So we can't be pushed aside. Wow. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're pushing the young people aside uh, because when they don't step up, we do what they should be doing. And they then look for other ways to fill their time on Sabbath. And when they come to church, how many times have you seen the young people on their cell phones during the sermon? You know, think about it. They cell phone, they text each other. They have a, we even had one person take pictures of all the senior folk who were sleeping during the church service and put it on Facebook. Extremely <laughs> mad because they had about six of the saints fast asleep during the church service and on Facebook. So that's how our young people entertain themselves. That they are not really buying into what we're selling. I'm so never preaching there again. I'm that. never doing it again. I'm not preaching there <laughs> ever again. <laughs> we have found a way to, to really make that link strong. Now, in some cases, it worked well. We've done a lot of good stuff. A lot of people are working hard, and a lot of places good things are happening. But as a general church, we have not made that connection. Mm. But that involves a lot of change. You know, yeah, but and, um, I was going to say, Oh, I was going to say, when he, when, he, when he shared about the picture being taken by the kids, <laughs> it, it may not be the kids' fault. They may be saying, hey, there's a problem somewhere else we need to deal with. <laughs> hey, but, but listen, I, I think, I think we, we, we just heard something that we don't often hear. Um, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong um, to, to our guests, but it sounds like we have been, in my generation, we tend to make the case that the church is often irrelevant to our young people. And particularly what I'm talking about is, is liturgy and what we do in the building on Sabbath. It sounds like, Elder Doggett, what you're saying is that there might be a case to be made that there's there's some shaky relevance, not just to young people, but even to our older generation, that 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 some of our older generation may be may be questioning the relevance of what's happening in the building to them as well. Is that is that what I'm getting? Absolutely. <sighs> Absolutely. As uh, attorney oh. Edmonds said, you know, the structure that we have, for example, we have a, a structure for the 11 o'clock service. We have a litany. It's traditional. It's not scriptural. I mean, it's not salvific. Uh but it's a structure that we go through and it becomes after 20 years, it becomes a little bit uh, mercy. We need to think about how do we make our church more user friendly. Our church services are not user friendly. We pick times to do things that don't are not easy for us. We have to put ourselves out and you make us feel guilty if we don't put ourselves out to do it. Why does Sabbath school have to begin at 930? Right. It's in the menu, isn't it? Why does church begin at 11, 11 o'clock? It's in the why do you have a ritual lit litany that you go through? It takes a half an hour before you can get down to the business of worship. We need right. to look at these and see how they impact us. Now, we old generation, we silent generation, we come because we were trained to do that. Our parents had us in church every Sabbath for Sabbath school. So we're still there, but we're not happy. And we participate, but it's sort of like a rote. You know, yeah, I'm doing it, but I'm not really into it. Uh, yeah. You know, church has not, is not as meaningful to us during those periods. 
and we stay because we want the sermon. And we have learned if you keep the sermon till last, they'll stay and wait for it. If you put the sermon first, guess what would happen? People are gone. <laughs> wow. This is, this is a real interesting conversation because, I, see, the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, we, you know, I think we, in, in approaching, um, in approaching the ministry to people, I think we've, we started wrong and we're trying to play catch up. Mm -hmm. Um, Young people, we wait until young people are already older and set in their ways to consider them for leadership. And why can't the, the adult generation work alongside of a 10-year-old hmm. who has a position in Sabbath school, a leadership position? Mm -hmm. Why can't... Um, uh, you know, a senior work alongside of a a a thirteen year old uh, leader leader in the women's organization. Why are we waiting until they become adults to provide leadership? Um, to me, I think there is a need in a person's life to be around their own age group. But I think we overdo it. And there's not enough opportunity for young people and, and, and adults to work alongside each other to develop friendships and relationships. There is nothing that says that young people don't want to have a relationship with older people. They do. But there's never the opportunity to learn and to be mentored because all of my friends are over a certain age and all of their friends are under a certain age. So there's very limited opportunity the way the church is structured for, them, for us to mentor and develop. I'm talking about develop real relationships with young people where if I decide I want to go to a concert, why can't I call a 13-year-old that I've developed a relationship with for, to go with them. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. while we're going to the concert or while we're, we're going shopping or doing whatever, they're passing off values to me and I'm passing off values to them. I think division of age groups is one of the biggest tools the enemy has used wow. to hamper development. Mm. Wow. Mm. This is fascinating in that. And Roger, you know this. L last night, um, I, I stayed up w well beyond the, the, the Holy Spirit hours of the night. Um, <clears throat> but I was listening to a conversation that a bunch of millennials were having. Um, Gen Xers, millennials, some of them probably in, in the Z. And they were saying the exact same thing. And, and it, it, I mean, it, it, this, this conversation, what you just said, uh, 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 Sister Edmonds, it, it sounded almost verbatim some of the things that I was hearing from millennials last night. And it says to me that, that there's a whole lot more in common that some of our generations okay. have than we think. And, and, and we have almost manufactured 
this distance and this gap to our own demise to a to a large degree. Right. And another thing that I was going to mention earlier, um, we talked about change and and you all have expressed, listen, we've been doing the same thing. (laughs) for the last 20, 30 years. It's 11 o'clock. And if we change the 11 o'clock, oh my, we we want to be, you know, you want this fellowship people for that. (laughs) You know, so what do we do? What do we say to the, the, the builder generation who some of them, not everybody, but some of them, as you mentioned, are resistant to change? How do you communicate that to your cohort? And how do you get the millennials, and you mentioned something else, to stick around and, and, and deal with these issues of different methods? How do you do it? Because you're right, you know, like you said, they'll leave quickly. Um, and the, the, the builders, they're loyal. They, I mean, most of the tithe and offering will come from them and resistant to change. So there may be some people who do not have the same mindset like you may have and say, listen, I want it this way. This is great. How do you communicate that to them that, hey, we need to loosen up a little bit? How do you tell the young millennials, hey, listen, stick around and let's discuss this a little bit? What what do you say to that? Okay, I'll take it directly. Monopolize the the conversation. the, the first thing that came to my mind is allow them to have to help build the change. Um, you know, to give you some suggestions for the change and then give them responsibility in helping execute the change, get their buy in. I mean, you know, help them feel as if their their suggestion is making an impact help them feel good about uh, their participation in the process. We haven't, and and my generation hasn't mastered the skill of support and encouragement and applause and affirmation and all of that. A person is going to stay where they're celebrated. Hmm. And I'm talking about personal relationship celebration where where you celebrate them you need them you interact with them you and that means that some of us are going to have to um look beyond the jewelry um we're going to have to look beyond the short skirt or look beyond whatever else uh, and accept people as they are and demonstrate some unconditional love and acceptance and celebrate in people individually for who and what they are. Because I truly still believe that young pe- even young people will stay and go where they're celebrated mm. and supported. See, one of the things that I have been concerned about for years, many years in our church, is that if I am sitting in the congregation and I have a real problem or complaint about something, how do I get it aired? Mm, okay. What can I do? Uh, and think about that. Now, I'm not going to, I'm the generation where I respect the pastor. I'm not going to, and by the way, let me affirm our pastors. We have some of the greatest pastors in the world working in our church, and they're doing fantastic things. 
and I respect that. I see it. I appreciate it. Uh, but getting back to my point, if I have 10 people sitting in the congregation, each of them has a complaint, how do they get that aired? How do they get it dealt with? We don't have a system in our church that lets us come together and, and talk about how we can improve, how we can work better together as a church. There's no structured system. The only way to do that is to complain to the pastor, complain to the board, or complain around the dinner table on Sabbath, which is what most of us do, instead of getting it in the system. So as Attorney Edmund says, we need to work together with them, but we can't work with them if we're not talking with them. Right. And they don't feel free to come and confront us uh, mm -hmm. with their complaints, because we'll say, don't be smart, you know, respect your elders. We don't give them a forum for saying what they think. And in fact, I don't even have a forum for saying what I think. I take it because I get into circles and I just start running my mouth. But there's no forum that I can have or that we old people have. So we resort to just talking about it and not doing anything about it. We need to put in place a structure that lets us bring, bring these issues to the top, interact with each other, and figure out what the connecting links are that we need to develop. So, Elder, you're not talking about just issues at the local church level. You're talking about structural levels, conference issues, union, you know, just worldwide church issues, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Both levels. I think it needs to be done at the local level, and I think it needs to be done at higher levels. Now, okay. when you get into the structure of the church at higher levels, that's a whole new area uh, for consideration and concern. Uh, whether that superstructure is still viable and workable today and whether it makes sense today. The reason I'm asking is because there are going to some, some who would say, but if you can talk to your pastor, if you can air that issue at a board meeting or at a church business meeting, then those are the, the, the elements that are at the disposal for the member to air their, their issues or their grievances. Not so, okay, so so can we dig in a little bit more? How could that work better at a local level? So so if you're if yeah, how how, how would Sunday we make that morning, more efficient? Sunday morning, you bring the church together. You bring the young people, the everybody together. You give them breakfast. We like to eat. You feed us. We'll come. Mm -hmm. uh, bring them together and have a a facilitator other than one of your members. Oh, have wow. a, a neutral facilitator talk about what can we do to make our church better? We don't want you to blame anybody. We're not looking to point fingers. We're looking for what are the problems that we confront as a local church and how can we deal with them and get them on the table? And we can present some of the problems that we have identified. We're losing our youth. We're not uh, showing up for Sabbath school. We can present some of these and say, why are these things happening and what can we do about them? We don't have forums like that in the church because, uh, uh, can I say, because I think our leadership is a little bit uh, concerned about opening that up. That's the can of worms that you open up that you have to deal with once you open it up. And so we have, have been reluctant to open that can of worms up, I think. Okay. All right. And, I, I and think, oh. in everybody's opinion, we have, we have to teach those people that come to those forums that everybody's uh, opinion or suggestion is valued. Um, my experience has revealed that we celebrate and we encourage people who think like we do. 
Mm. Um, when um, I know Herb has been a leader in some of the higher echelons of government in our country and, and all of that. And what you learn from that is it's good to have some people who are going to tell you the truth, whether they uh, agree with you or not. Mm-hmm. You have to have leaders who are open for folk to tell you the truth, that it's not about you, that your identity and your ego is not so so delicate that you cannot separate the job from, you know, from your own personal feelings and identity. And, and getting back to the, the young people thing, um, we have not, we not, we have not as a church, um, youth leaders, value, shown our young people that we value them. Yes. Hmm. We have hmm. not invested our resources in them. And I've said this to several friends and, and, and I've asked the Lord how um, he can use me in bringing about change in this area. But I am distressed by all the money that leaves the local area and goes somewhere else. Hmm. When our church schools are not efficient and sufficient, um, our youth camps are not developed as they should. We're, we, I mean, I really believe that God wants us to invest in our children instead of money sitting in union bank accounts and division bank accounts and GC bank accounts instead of putting it back into our young people. They need to see that we value them and we're willing to put our resources into them. And I, I long for that day. I long to see us do that, to see our church do that. But, but you know, what, what I'm hearing you say now um, in terms of uh, Elder Doggett, you talked about not wanting to open up the can of worms, not being supportive, not celebrated. Those are things that families do. You know, you know, when someone in the family had a birthday, I mean, you didn't have to be extravagant, but everyone was excited about that family member and we celebrated that. I, I think the church has lost its family sense. Um, you you brought that point out from the get go, and I was I was really listening to that um, in terms of how the church deals with our senior population or the builder generation. We've lost that family sense, so it's hard to talk about family items um, when we don't know how to deal with each other. Even I, I would even say it's there's such a dysfunctionality in our families. Mm-hmm. even interrelationship within our families that, you know, there are sisters that don't talk to sister or brother that don't talk to a brother mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. parents don't know how to deal with kids. And, and because of that, it, I think it has spilled over into the, the church at large. And now you have generations 
that are not talking to each other or generations that are not seen or encouraging each other. You hit it on the head when it comes to that family sense. And uh, so, so I, I know we've, I've seen some in the chat, some of the things we can do um, in terms of bringing back that, feel, that fat, good family feeling, I think is important to help us move past this impasse that we're in. Mm -hmm. and, 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 oh, I, don't, I don't know if you had a, a question. Can I just add to that? Um, as, as you mentioned some good points there, um, Roger. So, you know, bringing back family um, into the church and initiating changes, right? So that the, the local church can be resourced more effectively and also the school systems and also looking at the organization on how some things probably, well, we know need to change. How do we initiate that? Uh, we're talking about bring that family. How, give us advice. How do we initiate this change? Constant evaluation on what is the need. Get to the heart of the, ma the matter. What is the need? I mean, when, when issues come up or when situations come up, what is the need here? Um, and, 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 and resolve it and make plans and strategic plan according to what the needs are, not according to what we always did before. Okay. Right. It, okay. It, to me, it has to start at the local church. We are a representative group. Ideas float from the bottom up. We are we pride ourselves on having the local church have play such an important role in our structure. And that's where it needs to start. We need and we see it happening some places. We need courageous leaders at the local level to begin to initiate the kinds of interactions. Mm. And I agree with you, Pastor Wade, the family is critical to this because sometimes the people that they put in our church that we have to work with are hard to work with because not, they don't have a foundation. So we're starting from a very low point. But I think the local church needs to begin to try to address some of these issues uh, mm -hmm. in whatever small way they can and sort of circulate, push it upwards. But, but mm. Dr. Doggett, you, 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 in your resume, you have worked many years in government. And yes. uh, uh, you have you have um, worked for different mindsets in terms of leadership styles, and and you you could not survive there, um, you know, without knowing how to maneuver through some of those minefields. And we could find those same minefields within our church structure, um, even in, at the local level. We're not even talking about moving up; just even at the local level. Um, right. You know, I've pastored I've pastored long enough to be in a church where. Um, Daryl's sister uh, has, a, has a thumb on the pulse of the church and, a, mm -hmm. and another family has a, how do you what are some of the things you, you've been around what are some of the things that you, would, you can share with some of our listeners who are listening who probably are going through the very same thing what are some of the things we can use to maneuver through that to help bring us back to that family field that's a very difficult question one for which I can't say that I have the answer but that doesn't stop me from talking about it <laughs> and presenting. Uh, you know, in going through government, I have learned that every piece of legislation that passes is a compromise. 
Mm-hmm. Nothing basically goes through the way the originator wanted it to be. You have mm-hmm. to learn how to compromise, how to give a take, give a little bit, take a little bit, and you get some of what you want and you get some of what you don't want. And the same thing holds true in local situations. We have to learn how to get people t- together to talk about issues and convince them that you can't get everything you want. I know that as a senior, as a builder generation, I know there's going to be certain music in the church, and I'm willing to let them have it, but not every Sabbath. You know, I'm willing. (laughs) You know, you can have a Sabbath where you have all the, you know, three words that you repeat 76 million times. Uh, Do that. Come on, come on. I'm happy, but I don't want it every Sabbath. I think we have to figure out some sort of a way to to say to them. You're not going to get everything you want, but you're going to get some of what you want. Mm. We're going to figure out a way to find a middle ground that I can't tell you how many times I and how many hours I have spent thinking about and trying to find a middle ground to bring two points together. And we need Mm. to do some of that thinking in the local church. Uh, Now, before we run out of time, by the way, there's another point I want to bring up, but I'm going to wait for you to ask the question. Um, but in response to that, um, what what's raising its head with me in dealing with the family issue is the emotional issues that this that that this modern society brings about has brought about, and um, I think as a church we ignore the emotional issues. We don't address the emotional issues. And, and, and I think if, if you would talk, would talk to a pastor and some of my, I've spent a lot of my life in the, in, in the pastoral uh, ministry kind of thing, close to pastors. Um, we don't address the emotional issues, not among our leaders, not among our church members. And if you were to evaluate the problems that pastors are dealing with that take up their time. It has to do with that emotional, mental, all of that. And um, those issues and the things connected with uh, those issues, we don't want to deal with. um, But those are the things that are prevalent during our times. People are dealing with some real issues. Pastors are dealing with some real issues. Um, I, I... I, I re, I've done some research and I've read that that um, pastoral turnover is is one of, it's one of the biggest turnovers in jobs of of any other occupation. But what are, what are we doing as an organization to support pastors? I mean, uh, are there sabbaticals for pastors? Are pastors in, encouraged to do counseling? Um, hmm. What are we doing to keep pastors pastoring? We got. We need to look at that. I mm. mean, and 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 the members are dealing with the same emotion. You talk about families, the basic human family. How many of us have gone through with the dissolution of families and those issues that we're dealing with? And so the church, if the church is going to reach people and be there for people, we need to address those issues in our workers and in also in our membership. What can we do to address those? Because it is hampering the work, the Mm -hmm. ministry of the church, 
the work of the church. Let me stick my point in here that, <clears throat> that I want to get across. One of the things that I'm concerned about is you have just brought up, and that is the impact of all of this on the local pastor. The local pastor has a lot of things pulling him or her in different directions and has to cope with all of them. And one of the things that I have noticed is, is that we have made it a point. We have ministry descriptions or position descriptions for every position in the church except the pastor. So when I look at the ministry descriptions of what the elder's supposed to do, what the deacon's supposed to do, et cetera, I look for one for the minister. There is none. So I don't know how to evaluate my minister. I don't know whether he's doing the job that we want him to do or not, because I don't know, and I would dare, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I dare say many ministers are not clear on what they're supposed to do. They get polls from the conference. We know what the conference wants. Hold the board mm -hmm. meeting, have communion, send the money in. Souls and goals. Souls and goals. That's the we know that. <laughs> Okay. Do you know what the congregation wants? But these polls are on the pastor. He's in the middle. And he's got mm -hmm. to some way balance them out. And I think we need to address that. I think we need to get some concept of what a congregation should expect from the minister. And it needs to be transparent. It needs to be cleared, uh, shared. Uh, with the congregation and not be sort of a secret. Yeah, the minister, he works for the conference. When you call the conference, they say, oh, we're not a supervisor. He can, you know, he has freedom to do. It's too fuzzy. You know, mm -hmm. that line is too fuzzy there. That, uh, And it, it makes it impossible to really nail things down, in my view. And, you know, with, with such a people-intensified job, there's got to be more support given. It's got to be. Mm -hmm. um, I have a very dear friend who's a social worker. She had her organization gives them me time. They get paid for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But a certain portion of their their work time it's me time that's respected, it's understood, it's encouraged. I pray and I long for leadership in our conferences that are concerned about the, the pastor as an individual. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and providing support for him as an individual, we've got to get to that point. We've got to be able to do that. I don't know what, uh, you know, the ministerial person, I don't know what, but I mean, more mandatory time to yourself where you have to take it off. Yeah, this this is listen. This is just so fascinating, and these the this this hour and a half just goes by so quickly, and 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 it's just been fascinating to hear um, this perspective on the church and its mission, its structure, its role, its 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 uh, effectiveness. Um, if if uh, just kind of in, in, in wrapping up here. If you could have all of the following generations sit down in front of you and you were doing uh, the, the, the sermon for the day, you were doing the lecture for the workshop, 
what would you say? What what would you say to to those generations who are tired um, of the organized church? They're tired of the way things are. They're frustrated. Uh, hey, there's a word, Sister Edmonds. Uh, that, that's that's what Myron is doing. They're frustrated, and you're the frustrated about the condition and 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 the direction, uh, the inefficiency, the ineptness, whatever. What would you say? What would be that that one word? Those two words of counsel that you would give to those um, to that generation that is seated in front of you. Um, I would say to them, we need you. Mm. We need you. Don't leave us. Mm. You are needed. You are valued. You are loved. And there are many of us who want to hear you. We want to hear um, solutions from you. We want you to take over. We want you to lead. And we're willing to help you be successful in your leadership. Don't leave us. Stay with us. We're willing to to work it out. We're willing to make it work. And we're willing to hear you. We love you. We want to see our church succeed, its mission succeed. And we cannot do it without you. Wow. Wow. That was wonderful. I agree with that totally. I would say, uh, you know, we have issues that need to be addressed. And the only way they're going to be addressed is if we come together and address them. Let's build a cathedral, and we're going to start with brick one. It's going to be a small step, but we're going to start with a small step, and we're going to come together, and we're going to decide on something that we can agree on right now. For example, let's take the the order of service on Sabbath morning. Let's talk about that. Let's see if we can get that to a place where we're all happy with it, or at least able to to put up with it, where we say, okay, that's about the best we can do. Let's start a brick at a time and begin to make change that moves us in the direction towards building this grand cathedral. Yes. Wow. 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 Listen, I, I don't know about my co-host, but, uh, this has been an amazing show. And I just want to thank our guest, Attorney Edmonds, Herb Doggett, for coming on, sharing words of wisdom from years of experience. And I think that if we pay attention to the council, I think we're going to have a better church. I know yes, next definitely. week we have another topic, and um, definitely, you know, we're going to be engaged next week. But this week, oh my goodness, I. I, I, I just enjoy this show this week. You know, it, it's, it's, it's something today as I'm listening and sharing and with my co-hosts, I want you to know my our guest, uh, Attorney Edmonds, uh, Elder Doggett, uh, it, felt, it felt like I was sitting at the feet of, of some very uh, wise people. And, um, you know, though there were some things you shared that maybe, maybe it may cause some people to have a little problem with maybe the, the type of music and the thing. I, I, I received it. I thought it was I thought it was needed to be said, needed to be heard. But what I heard loudly was you want to work with our younger generation. You want to see this church triumphant. And I'm excited about that. And I want to thank you for being the kind a representative of your, your generation that is not about to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You want to see it grow and I, I, I thank you for that. 
I am reminded today after this discussion of the words of Scripture where, where the prophet says that in the last days he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children and, and the hearts of the children towards their fathers. And I, and I, can't, I can't help but, but think that, that call, um, Sister Edmonds and, and Elder, um, that you guys mm. made about the unity, that, that we're, we're not trying to be these separate groups of older versus younger. Um, Elder Doggett, you even kind of, you made that thing about the, the issue of even the conferences and, and how the work seems, that, that, that in the end, if God's going to have a people that's going to finish the work, and be who he's called us to be, that on all levels, we've got to be able to come together. Um, and I'm reminded of, of, of the words of Ellen White when she, she heard an angel in her ear saying, press together, press yeah. together, press together. And if this yeah. thing is going to be what God intends, if this church is going to be what God intends, that's what we got to do. We got to find ways to press together, press together, press together and get this work done. Thank you so very much for the, the fresh insight and perspective that you brought to PRT today. Um, we know that our, our, our audience and bless has our audience has been blessed. And um, we want you to know, both of you, you have a home here at the PRT um, that right. you you, you will probably hear from us again. We, we've just really enjoyed and we wish we had a little bit more time to to just get some more wisdom and 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 and, um, and insight from you. But we'll have to do that another time. Um, Dr. Wade, I mean, uh, Pastor Wade, Dr. Henry, anything else we need to leave with our audience before Listen, we let them go? Yes, yes, yes. We want to remind our viewers about the new start time. We've been doing it for two weeks now. We thank you for the faithful that have been coming on. But remember, we start at 3 p.m. Eastern and 2 p.m. Central. Yes, yes. And uh, I just got some sad news. Um, we, we started the, the top of the show with some, some sad news. But um, to many of us who went to school at Oakwood and sat at the feet, we talked about sitting at the feet of wisdom. Elder Melanson has just passed away today oh, no. to uh, mm. share um, our condolences with Elder Melanson's family. Um, he taught a lot of preachers, and um, and yeah. so we, we are saddened by the loss, by this loss, um, and we pray for his family as they continue to maneuver through this dark time. But uh, we, we, we know that Jesus is coming soon, and uh, mm-hmm. this kind of conversation needs to happen so we can bring everyone together and get us ready, because here at the Pastors' Roundtable, we are excited to keep ministry relevant resourced and real. God bless you, everybody. We'll see you next week.